Good morning. So I, I love this story. I've heard it many, many times. And uh, this is someone who's uh, it's their first time to Skyline. And it goes something like this, that they've been invited to Skyline uh, by somebody from uh, usually one of the countries they're from, Peru, Ecuador, uh, maybe from uh, another country. And, and they not only have been invited to Skyline by that person, but they know other people who go to Skyline. And they all look like them. And they're like, okay, I'm going to check this church out. So they walk into Skyline, and it works out the way they thought it would. They walk in, and they look around, and they're like, yeah, a lot of people look like me. And then they introduce Pastor Chris. And he is the whitest guy I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, how does this work? Well, today we are we're in our series called Convictions, and we're going to talk about race and racism. So convictions are is being in the state of convinced. I am in the state of being convinced. Biblical convictions are being in the state of being convinced about what God says. And racism is creating enormous, and the way we deal with it is creating enormous chaos in our world. It really has us to the point that we're afraid to talk to somebody about it because we're afraid we're either going to be offended or they're going to be offended. And what do we do? Well, convictions are something that you can grab a hold of. They're an anchor that when the storm comes, when you don't know what to do, when everybody else is kind of flying all over the place, it keeps you from being blown out into the sea and drowned. It keeps you from being blown up against the rocks and crushed. And so we, are, we have been working through it every week we start with these four things. We say, okay, how do you find a biblical conviction? One, you start with the Bible, not the problem. You start with the Bible, not the issue. Number two, you want to define the issue or be able to double check your understanding of the practice and get wise counsel. Number three, pray and get the perspective of the gospel. What difference does it make that Christ came, gave his life, and offers you a brand new life? How does that impact this issue? And lastly, commit to obey Jesus no matter what it costs you. Once I find out this is what God says, I grab a hold of that rope by obeying what God says over everything else. And so uh, let's jump in. Let's jump in with, uh, we'll, we'll start with the definition what is the definition of racism? The belief that race accounts for differences in character, in ability, and that in particular, <clears throat> that a particular race is, this is really important, this is a big part of why it causes so much trouble, is superior to another one. I can judge you based on your race. I can look down at you because of your race. It's different than another one. It's a, it works its way out as a behavior or an attitude that reflects and fosters this belief, kind of like racial, turns into racial discrimination and prejudice. So what, we're going to start with the Bible. What does the Bible say about race? It's pretty awesome. This is pretty awesome. What does the Bible say about race? <clears throat> we, we keep going back to the beginning in, in this series, because it's really important, we build everything based on what God says in the first place. And he says that the man 
gave his wife the name Eve. Why? She was the mother of all living things. See, the Bible's perspective is there's one race. There's not two races. There's not 45 races. There is one race. Well, Adam and Eve, then the, the world populated and became so evil that God had to wipe them out, and he brought them all the way back to one family. The sons of, uh, there was a flood, and then after the flood, the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. So, there's one race, we all come from two people. You go back far enough in your ancestry, and you're going to find out your great, 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 great is my great, 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 great grandfather. It's my great, 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 great grandmother. Now, we operate from what the Bible says. And science is constantly changing, so, but this is fun. What's happening right now is, is really fun. Did you know that we are 99.6% all alike? That genealogy-wise, we are 99.6% alike. That's what the National Institute of Health says. Did you also know that there are a number of studies done by, live sciences talks about this, there's a number of studies, three major ones, on DNA, that scientifically, they say scientifically proves we came from two people. That it all comes back to two people. This one might surprise you, it surprises me. When asked the question, can you tell that what race someone is from your DNA? Genetics of race and ancestry. We've determined that biological races in the human species do not exist. They cannot be determined by either physical or genetic measurements. What we think of as races are socially assigned sets of characteristics that change depending on context. Races are built off, you look different than me, so I think you are. So, can race be determined biologically? Can we know we're different biologically? Race is a real concept that we use as social beings. As for whether race can be found in our genes, the answer is no. Biolo biological ancestry, however, is real. Where our forebrothers came from can be seen in our DNA, but ancestry does not map into race, not even close. The Bible's perspective is there is one race, you and I, and many of us, we are on opposite spectrums of the color piece of it. We're one. We are one race. <clears throat> so what happened? How did we end up like this? Well, after the flood, the 
humanity basically lived in one place, and they got together and they said, we're going to build this giant city, this giant tower. We're going to become like God. God said, that's not good for them. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because where the Lord confused the language of the world, the whole world, from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is where culture comes from. This is where different languages come from. So then people scattered, and when they couldn't speak the same language, they began to go into groups. And as they went into groups, they began to develop specific things that were similar in terms of color and different pieces to that effect, right? But we're actually one people who were scattered with different languages and different cultures who see the world different, who think of each other different, who identify themselves as a certain group of people because I'm part of this culture. But in terms of your race and my race, the Bible says there's one. It reconfirms that in the New Testament. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their land. So, does the Bible mention or deal with racism? Does it mention how we deal with each other using race as an excuse? It does not use the word. But it is very clear about the root of it. It's the result of sin. It doesn't use the word racism, but it does use these words. Oppression, favoritism, hatred, pride, slander, self-righteousness, revenge, murder. These are all sins that have been justified because of racial difference. Clutchy eBay says race is a tool to divide. We use race as a tool to divide. When it, when it started, we actually used race as a, as a tool to collect, to be able to say, hey, you are with me, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, we're together. We're alike. But then because of sin, it turned into a tool to divide. When I was a little guy, um, there was Marcel's school district, and part of Marcel's school district was one country school. It was Valenia. Uh, by the way, in this story, all of us in this story are white. Um, not as white as me, but quite white. And I went to the country school. I went to Valenia. First, second, first, second grade, I went to the country school. Third grade, I got moved. Valenia got moved in with the Marcellus School. And they would not allow, the kids in Marcellus were one team, and the kids in Valenia were the other team. They had way more kids and a couple of better athletes. We got beat in recess every day. Every day. But we were not allowed to be to mix teams because we were from Valenia and they were from Marcellus. They wouldn't even allow us to like their girls. A kid from Valenia couldn't like a girl from Marcellus. And a girl from Marcellus couldn't like a kid from Valenia or they'd throw a fit. Why? Because we're sinners. We will divide over anything. The, how, does, how does the Bible interact with this? Now, I, I picked this one verse, but I could have picked 50 of these verses. God says this over and over again throughout the scriptures. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to the cry, defending the fatherless 
and those who are oppressed, so that mere earthly mortars will never again strike, strike terror. God is clear. Those who are involved in oppression are going to regret it. They are going to answer for that one day when they stand before God. In the New Testament, Paul is describing a person who's a pagan, a person who shakes his hand at God, a person who says, I don't care what God has to say. And you will see in this list many of the characteristics that come along with racism. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. You always see arrogance and boastfulness in racism. It's always there. They invent ways of doing evil. There's one story in the Bible where it gives you Jesus' perspective. Again, racism, it doesn't talk about racism because it, that wasn't, it, it wasn't done based on race. There was other divisions that they did it on primarily. But there was this person who came to Jesus. He was a, a, a religious leader, and he said, listen, how do I get to the kingdom? How do I get in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, what does the, what does the scripture say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then the Bible says the guy, the guy in an effort to justify himself, says, who's your neighbor? He's thinking he loves his neighbor. He says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. He says, there's a man who was traveling. He uh, got robbed, beat up, thrown in the ditch for dead. And the first guy that walks by is a priest, which this guy would have associated with as his kind of people. And, but the priest just walks right on by. Next guy that comes along is a Levite. Ah, my kind of people, my neighbor, walks right on by. The third person that walks by is a, is a Samaritan. Now, when it comes to racism, one race hates the other race. But what do they hate more than the other race? They hate the one who mixes. They hate the person who mixes with the other race. That's what a Samaritan is. A Samaritan, was they were hated by the Jews because they had mixed. The Samaritan comes by and says, stops, bandages the guy up, takes him to a hotel, gets him medically taken care of, pays for his room, and tells the hotel keeper, I'll be back in a week, Whatever, take care of this guy. Whatever expenses are incurred, I'll take care of him. Jesus says, who's the neighbor? That's the neighbor. Jesus totally obliterates their lines of division and their lines of race. No go. Now, what's the solution? Uh, you, we hear it all the time, man. Got to talk about it. Got to talk about it. Need to talk about the problem. Need to talk about the problem. Doesn't seem to be getting better talking about it. I, the Bible has a different solution. It's the gospel. Now, you've noticed every one of these messages, the solution seems to be the gospel. Yeah, that you're going to see that theme continue on. Now, the most basic piece of the gospel you cannot understand the gospel. You cannot understand who Jesus is if you don't understand this piece. The most basic piece of the gospel is 
We have no righteousness of our own. We have no goodness of our own. In this passage, Paul is, is talking to the Romans, Jews and Gentiles, and he's talking to the Jews who think they have an advantage because they have the Bible and they're God's chosen people. And this is what it says. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are, under, are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. The foundation of racism is my race is superior to your race. That because you are of that race, you're different than me. The Bible obliterates the whole idea. Why? Because I don't have any righteousness. I have no goodness from which I can stand upon and judge you. Now listen to this. This is very important. It is impossible to build your life on grace and be a racist at the same time. It is impossible for you to build your life on God's grace and be a racist at the same time. You are ignoring, you're rejecting the most foundational piece of what it means to be a follower of Christ. But then we've, we've learned throughout the series, Christ did what? Christ took our shame, he took our sin, he took our worthlessness on himself. He died, he rose again with a new life, and he comes to us and says, listen, that's who you used to be. I'm offering you a brand new life in me. And when we accept that, what happens? We are renewed. We're made new. We're redeemed. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. My identity is not in my supposed race. My identity is not in my past. My identity is not in the pain of my past. My identity is in Christ and Christ alone. And guess what? We are all one. We are all one. We are one in our forgiveness. We've been forgiven. We are one in our righteousness and this new life. It's a gift. And the gift that Jesus gave me is the same gift that God, Jesus gave you. You're just as righteous as I am. We are one. Now, what about the scars and the pain of past racism? So I'm going to ask our elder, a couple of our elders to come out. Um, Robert and Wayne, would you guys come on out? Now, one of the, one of the treasures, I guess, of being the pastor of Skyline is your stories. It's your life stories. So... Many of you grew up totally opposite that I, I did. You don't appreciate pigs at all. 
And you have amazing stories. And some of them are of deep, deep racism, where people have wronged you in a deep, deep way. And there's no doubt that leaves pain and leaves lies. And so I've asked these guys, our fundamental, our fundamental answer to that question is the way we overcome that is we live life together as one, and we share with each other. We help each other apply what Jesus has to say to our new life and our new identity. So I've asked the guys to come and share a little bit about their story. And uh, Robert, would you go first? Sure. Good morning, everybody. Great to see everyone. Well, <clears throat> uh, I grew up Mexican. Believe it or not, I am really Mexican. Uh, <laughs> the, um, shockingly enough, I, uh, my family, I live in a Dominican and Puerto Rican family uh, culture. Uh, so I didn't really fit with Mexican. I didn't speak how they spoke or dress how they spoke or even look how they uh, look because I cut my hair differently. Um, <clears throat> I didn't fit with Dominicans, Colombians, or Puerto Rican, or anything like that, because I didn't speak like them, or I didn't have the same dialect. Um, so the, one of the things that I can remember is uh, the kids used to say, you can't play with us because you don't look like me. So that was kind of tough growing up. Then growing up further, there was some racial profiling done to me. Um, you know, it's um, the, the one I remember is, uh, you don't belong in this town, things like that. Um, and those TVs and uh, cartoons, they, and especially novelas, they did not help at all. <clears throat> in the novelas, they had this tall, light-skinned guy as the star of the novelas. I mean, like, there's other people that look like me, but the people that look like me were like the, the, the gardeners or the, the people who clean. They were short and dark, dark-skinned. Um, <clears throat> believe it or not, that created something in my heart. Uh, you could say a scar or something like that, but I didn't really know about it. Um, and also, that guided some of my decisions in my life. Fast forward, um, I went to this conference recently uh, in Texas uh, with my Skyline family. It was a great time. I learned a few things, and I saw a few things. Um, so I normally, when I go to these things, I go sit in the front. And as I'm there, and there's a room of about 100 people, I hear this voice, uh, this southern uh, older fella voice. It's like if you put him next to me, he's totally different. Whatever is a cowboy for you, that was the guy. And me right there <clears throat> in my heart when I heard him speak, I thought, is this one of those guys that are racist? And like, you know, I asked God, God, is this from you or this is from me? Right away, God said, nah, that's not for me. Um, I prayed like, you know, we normally do. I went on my day and I had a Texas lunch. If anybody gone to Texas, you know what I mean. Um, <clears throat> the, so I had a great lunch, good time, and then I had another class, and the same thing, there was a, a hundred, a, a hundred uh, people in the room, and at that same time, there's like 20 classes going on. So uh, I heard a voice. The voice said, from the back of the room, said, Robert, Robert, and I'm like, who knows me in Texas? Nobody knows me in Texas. And then the voice goes, Robert, Robert, you are my brother from a different mother and father. And I got up. Guess what? It was that guy. It was the southern cowboy guy. And I get up, you know, because I'm a man. So I say, hey, thank you. I appreciate you saying hello to me. And, you know, like why would he say hello to me? The first thing is that we look very different. The other thing is I was, 
eyeballing him. I was looking at him, so we crossed eyes. So imagine somebody looking at you, be like, what are you looking at? So same way. So we look at each other. And then um, the last, the strange thing, other thing was that his name was Robert. You know, it was so shocking. Um, when he called my name, you know, across the room, he didn't care who, you know, who the people were there. I heard Jesus. I heard Jesus uh, trade that lie. Uh, I heard Jesus promise. I heard uh, that I wasn't alone. You know, the lie was that I don't have what it takes. The lie is that why even bother if you cannot do it, right? Um, the lie was that, that even the worst one that I think that's what he thinks of me. Um, so, and, but the truth is that, you know, that cowboy right there is my brother. Uh, that we are created in Christ's image. And it doesn't matter what, what the world says about us or say about me. Uh, I am God's son. Thank you. So uh, next, Wayne. Wayne has an advantage uh, over us in this discussion because he's a little older. And uh, Wayne, uh, I don't know if you know your history or not, but Wayne was alive when the race riots took place in Newark and all that happened with that. And so, uh, yeah, Wayne. Yeah, the... Um, that happened, right? The riots of Newark, uh, and and is and I'm amazed that Newark is, uh, you know, it's it's a great city. It's come a long way. In case I can say that, because it was you couldn't say that for a long time about Newark. And um, but I wanted to um, talk about the fact that when I was um, coming up, in my experience is not the same as everybody else's. Okay, so I think that the same things that you experience might be different from what I've experienced in terms of racism. Um, I have uh, no, uh, I can't relate to say that my grandparents and my, my parents and their brothers and sisters uh, of that generation growing up back in the, you know, the 30s and the 40s and the 20s and that, I can't even imagine, okay? Because that's not my experience and I don't have, you know, the lunch counters and the schools and the buses and all of that, I don't know that. But um, there was something, I'm going to tell you a little story that had happened to me, to our family, and it was a good story in that uh, we learned one day that Martin Luther King Jr. was coming to town, right? And it happened that day, right? And so we were all scrambling, oh, we got to get down to high school and see him, all right? Now I'm about 10 years old, 11, I can't recall, but it was the late 60s. And I recall um, sitting in the back. Um, I think I was probably on the right side, left side. All I remember is you made the grand entrance. You know, you come from the back, walk slowly all the way to the front, and you could hear a pin drop. I mean, it was like hush over the entire room. And like I said before, I do not, don't ask me what he talked about. Don't ask me what he said. I have no idea what he said. I was just awestruck that this man that I had heard about and knew nothing other. This is, this is the Martin Luther King Jr. So he talked. Um, it, but so finally, uh, at the end of the conclusion of the night, we go home, we walk up to our home, and I hear a commotion down the street, and it's uh, people singing, right? They're actually walking up the sidewalk, and they're singing, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. And so one person, one neighbor, starts locking arms, so, you know, I run down there. And that was like, I'm so like, this is, 
it, it, it's like the climate of the day, the civil rights movement, late 60s. Now, my personal, which is a story, this is just something that happened as a kid about, and it's not a, I'll let's just tell you, I'm going to the library, my parents say, time to get your library card. Probably about, I don't know, five years old, four years old, I don't really remember. But learning to spell your name was a, you know, you had to spell your last name, your full name, in order to get your card. And the word was that they were making, it was almost like a racial block that they were trying to prevent uh, us as black people uh, to not, um, you know, get your library card. Because I heard the commotion from my family. And I'm like, well, this is a big deal. So my sister and I were walking up to every Pete and how to spell my name. I'm saying the words over and over and over and over, going up, you know, one after another. Finally get there, and it's like a moment of truth. Get the pen, the pencil, and this little three-by-five card. I give your name. you got to write it down. And she stares over you, you know, and you write your name. Okay? Okay. And I got my library card. And, but I was just, what is all this? I'm probably all four or five. Now, that was shaped my thinking that Martha King, it was, a, it was a tough, crazy time. However, um, over the years, uh, I started to really drift towards, I would say, uh, believing lies, a lot of lies about racism, like manufacturing things and uh, perceiving. I would really take things personally, and I knew my friends would take things personally. However, when I came to Christ, I still want to take things personally. <laughs> a lot of those didn't change until I still started to dive in and get, get Christ started to come into my life, read his word and that kind of thing. And now I'm looking for racism. It's not in there. It's nowhere in the Bible. It just doesn't exist. All I see is he became, you know, my satisfaction. He became the remedy for my sin. And it doesn't matter if you're, like I heard back there, you know, Jew, Greek, uh, Gentile, um, no matter what your background is, um, he died for us all. He died for me. And um, he lives for me. You know, so it's, it's one of those things that I will never give a platform to r racism as it's bigger than sin. It's what Jesus died on the cross for for me. And it allows me to just enter. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You might act like a fool. You might say some crazy things. That's a sin. You know, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, all that's described in the Bible, right? It's sin. Sounds a little bit like some of the racist things that happen, you know, as a response. So I am just grateful um, that uh, it doesn't matter what uh, happens. Christ is the one who has uh, paid the price for it. That's all I want to say on that. Thanks, Mike. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, Kelechi is our other elder, and uh, he's ministering, so he's not able to be with us this morning, but uh, he's going to join us by video. Hey guys, I'm here to share my thoughts. Uh, I think it's important to understand that no one person speaks for a large group of people. For instance, I don't represent black people. There's no nationwide meetings, there's no newsletter that gets sent out that directs me on how to behave, how to operate, what to think, or what to say about certain topics. I can only share my opinions based on things from my perspective and, of course, my experience. I can't and don't speak for other people. I don't think anyone can. Uh, I do, however, understand that sin is the root of racism and it's fed by ignorance. 
With that in mind, the best thing you can do to break down barriers is to get to know others. Uh, get to know them as individuals without making assumptions. Do this with an open mind and an open heart. And as you listen to their experiences, you will learn to understand and value their perspectives and you develop a better relationship with them. Uh, when we bring an open mind and an open heart to any interaction, it lessens the potential for animosity and brings understanding to the table. So we encourage our church to follow that practice. Get to know someone as an individual, get to know their opinions, get to know their experiences, and you can learn uh, about their perspectives and appreciate them. Put off the perceived notions and the assumptions and put on seeking to understand others. In uh, Romans 12, it says, Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. So how has, we're, we're all in the same life group, so how has uh, being in a life group together helped you wrestle with the pain in the past of racism? Thank you. That's a good question. <clears throat> Life group has a big role uh, with this. Um, so I was able to wrestle to bring to the table uh, my thoughts, not just my thoughts, uh, not just the, uh, my actions, because my actions came from my thoughts. So we were able to wrestle with them. Uh, I was brought back by you guys back to the truth. You got me back to it. Uh, you guys carry my burden. Um, you guys love me, not just say the word that you actually really love me. Uh, you guys really portrayed uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and you guys never bailed out at me. Uh, so now more, I am um, having lunches with people that don't look like me. Wait one sentence. Um, <laughs> uh, being able to talk to Anything I have to say, um, and we're all from different backgrounds, and, and I have that connection with us all. It's, uh, we're, we don't hold back. I mean, uh, that's it. I'm keeping it simple. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. So we're one race. And so you might be asking, well, wait a minute. Do you see me? Like, do you see my race? Do you see that I'm different? And the answer is yes. Got a really cool verse. This is... Uh, from uh, Revelation. Uh, we do see your color, we do see your race, and we love it. We love it and we celebrate it. We have so much fun getting to know each other. Revelation 7-9 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Heaven is going to look just like Skyline looks this morning. That's what it's going to look like. But because we're one, our races don't separate us. It's just a way that we celebrate and enjoy each other. So you also may be asking, okay, I got it, I got it. This is how we interact as a family. This allows us in the midst of all the chaos going on out there for us to truly be a family together. But what is our church going to do about um, 
racial injustice? What are we going to do about what we see going on around us? And so Kelechi is going to share on that as well. As elders, we believe we are called to lead our church through the racial injustice that they may encounter. So we commit to that. In response to being victimized, we as a church ensure that no one walks alone. As brothers and sisters, we will support each other, as we do when any problem arises. What does this look like? The first step that one should take when a problem arises is the steps that they should take when any problem arises. Take it to your life group. And we as elders are going to be there on the ready to step in and help you through, this, through the situation. Uh, to, throughout all this, there are ideas that we want to reinforce and remind people. Uh, one of those major steps that people can take in reminding themselves is understanding who they are in Christ. Nobody defines you except God. He is our maker, he's our deliverer, and he's our leader. He gives us our identity. Together we will work to follow Christ through the situation, following his lead on how to heal from it, and also what to do about it. We also seek to support those in our church who are operating on the front lines. Those are professionals like teachers, social workers. We want you to know that what you do matters, and we're here to help, and we're here to support you. Our goal is for everyone to walk in the understanding that they are heard and they are not alone. Skyline will support you to the very end, even if that means going all the way to the Supreme Court as God leads us there.